0: All right, thank you very much. You may be seated and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. No greater joy in life than to be a servant for Christ. Uh, I've been a Christian now for 57 years, and in February coming up, I will finish 53 years of preaching the gospel of Christ. A lot of that's not been in America. And I was the least likely candidate. I was a backward, shy country boy from a broken home. But God in His mercy let me hear the gospel and I trusted Christ. And then He called me to be a preacher and more than that, a missionary. And uh, my wife and I have enjoyed every moment of it and still do, we finished back in July, 50 years serving the Lord together. I want to speak to you this morning. I know it's Christmas time. I know it's exams and all of that. But I, I, I think this is what God laid on my heart to share with you. I want to speak to you this morning about serving God without being dominated by fear. Now, I'm not going to say that you'll never be afraid because some of you are afraid right now that you're not going to pass your courses. Some of you may be afraid you can't pay your school bill. Others may have other fears. And I will admit that even though I'm a Marine, I've had my fears of my own. But the Bible is clear that we, believe, we Christians can live our Christian lives and not be dominated by fear. And we see that here in the life of the Apostle Paul. And look at verse number one, Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now this was not his first missionary journey. Paul had already been at it a long time. And everywhere Paul went, he stirred up trouble. In fact, in the chapter before it said, they that turn the world upside down, they've come here also. So he's left Athens. He's arrived in this brand new city to minister uh, in Corinth. And when he got there in verse number four, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now that's what Paul did everywhere he went. He just saw that people needed Christ. It didn't matter if they were Jewish people or if they were Gentiles, Paul had a burden to share the gospel with them. And then I want you to skip down to verse number eight. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, now watch, this is the Bible order for all of this. Many of the Corinthians hearing, that is hearing in the gospel, believed and were baptized. Now folks, that's God's order. People hear the gospel message of Christ, they get saved, they believe, and then they were baptized. And then in verse number nine, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. I have to park there just a second. Aren't you glad that God speaks to us? He speaks to us today mostly by this book and his, the Holy Spirit. But God spoke to Paul clearly in a vision uh, in the night. And here's what he said. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Paul, I know what you've been through. I know they've thrown rocks at you. I know all the, the, the discouraging times you've been through. But God, God says to Paul, be not afraid, but speak. And aren't you glad that in this case, not only did God tell him that, but in the next verse, he told him why he doesn't need to be afraid. Here's what he says, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Well, uh, I have a friend who's a missionary today in Spain. I wish you you all could, maybe some of you can someday, have the privilege to go with me and see what God is doing around the world. If you could go to Uganda or go to Ivory Coast with me or down into South Africa or down into Central America or to the Philippines or or go to Papua New Guinea, uh, we're... We're seeing amazing, amazing things happen in Papua New Guinea through our Bible distribution project, which is in connection with local churches. They are missionaries. We have given out, as of right now, about 750,000 whole Bibles. The government invited us to come to every school in their country and give the gospel. And we get to go in and and preach and share the gospel and give Bibles to the teachers and the school students. And there have been literally thousands of people saved. They're in church. And uh, another 250,000 Bibles right now are in shipping containers uh, traveling from Belarus to Papua New Guinea. That will make one million Bibles that we're going to give out in Papua New Guinea. But Let me come back to my story. I had a, a friend, Mike Helton. He was a captain in the Marine Corps. And back before he uh, got out of the Corps, he was stationed in Iraq, and he was the head of a team of officers, a multi-branch team. That means they had Army, and they had Navy, and they had Air Force, and they had Marines, all in a team. And their job was to go out and inspect the outposts in Iraq. And one day they had done that, and they just had put a brand-new Army major in this team, and Captain Helton was the leader of it. Well, they were out and inspected in this building, and as they stood there, all of a sudden, right beside them, a bullet hit into the block. Well they sort of moved over a little bit, and as they stood there, another bullet hit, and another, and they're thinking, God, Iraqi snipers weren't as accurate as Marines. Well, uh, they f- finally moved around to the other side of that building, and later that, later that day, they were back in the office in Baghdad in military style. They were filling out their reports. And everyone had drifted away except this new army major and my friend, Captain Mike Helton. And the major looked at him and said, Captain, could I ask you a question? And Brother Helton said, well, certainly, sir. He said, we were standing out there today and those bullets were hitting all around us. Were you ever afraid? And Captain Helton said, sir, I'm a Marine, but I would lie if I said I'd never get afraid. What I do want you to know is if one of those bullets had hit me, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would find myself in the presence of my Lord. And the major said, are you serious about that? And Captain Helton said, I've never been more serious about anything in my whole life. And the major said, please tell me more about that. And that day, not so many, a few years ago, that major, army major fell on his knees in an office in Baghdad and trusted Christ. Well, in Acts 18, coming back to the story of Paul here, chapter 17, it says Paul and his group arrived there and they turned the world upside down. How many of you know when you, when you got saved, your world kind of got turned upside down too? Some of you, 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 your family may not want you around anymore. Some of you, your friends forsook you. Um, when, you're, when God calls you to be a missionary, See, I've been doing this a long time, and I know how people think, and I know what they tell me. Brother Godfrey, I'm afraid to surrender, because if I surrender, God will call me to Africa. And I always say to them, if He did, that would be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. My wife and I and kids spent 20 years in French-speaking Africa, and we loved every moment of it. But I always say, why do you think God would send you to some place that you would not like and you'd be miserable? That's not the God I know. But when God does start work to work in your life, and you may not be called to be a missionary, but here you are in Bible college, and things are not uh, exactly what you thought it was going to be, and it's not always easy, and it's long hours, and uh, your world gets turned upside down. For those of you who are called to be a missionary, you're wondering, uh, well, young missionaries starting out, how are we going to eat? We just accepted 16 brand new missionaries on Monday night. They're starting out on deputation. They don't have any income. They have to, you know, it's come to this, they have to learn to trust God. And they worry about how are we going to eat? And then a little later, some of them worry about what are we going to eat? Think about that a moment. Can I leave mom and dad? Can I leave the church that I grew up in? If, if God calls me to the mission field, how can I survive? I don't speak that language. Uh, they don't speak English. And it's one of the most interesting times in, in, in your life when you're trying to learn another language and a different culture. Can God take care of me? Can God provide for you to pay that school bill? Can God take care of you if he sends you to the, uh, to the mission field? And I'm not going to tell you all my missing stories today. But when you go back through the book of Acts, there's several things you're going to see in the life of Paul. But how many of you would agree with me, Paul was a great missionary? Paul was a great missionary. But when you study the story of his life up to this chapter and on beyond there, what, there's several things you'll see. Number one, there was lots of travel involved. Everybody thinks my wife and I love to travel. We've been in over 40 countries. I love doing that. I love being out there. I love preaching. I love seeing people saved. I love going soul winning with the missionaries, but I'm gonna be honest with you. We don't even like to travel. I guess we've ridden in every kind of possible transportation. Uh, We've been in jeepneys in the Philippines and airplanes of all different shapes and sizes and ships and trains. And one night in the Philippines, it was our, our anniversary. Of our 40th anniversary I think it was and we had left Cebu City and gone down to Mindanao and we were going back that night 12 hours on a big ferry and uh, we went into the inside the ferry and you didn't have a seat you had a bunk there were beds inside and it was our anniversary night and there were 200 people sharing our bedroom uh tr- we traveled every kind of way we've taken the jeepney and go as far as you could go and get out of that and and take a tricycle a bicycle with a sidecar. And then we got out of that and we got in a little boat without riggers and went across the river there, Manila, and there were no life vests or anything. And my wife said, well, what do we fall in? I said, honey, don't worry. If you fall in this river, you can't sink. <clears throat> it was too, anyway, too many other things in there. <laughs> Lots of travel involved. Everywhere Paul went, listen to me, everywhere Paul went, he had trouble. Now, some of you think, well, I became a Christian. Everything's supposed to be easy. That's usually not the way it is because God is building our faith. In every place that Paul and the early day missionaries went, they ran into sorcerers and unbelieving Jews and a religious crowd, and they were beaten and put into prison, and they were mocked. There were some disagreements. But you know, out of the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas and, and Lot and, and Silas entered into the picture... God made two missionary teams, even though there were some disagreements. But I don't want to stop on negative. I want you to hear what happened. Everywhere they went, people's lives were changed. Now, why do we do what we do? I hope we do it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. And we believe that the power of the gospel is still present. And people not only say, but their lives are totally changed. And Timothy was saved and Paul had a vision to come over into Macedonia and when they got there Lydia was saved and the servant girl and the jailer and there were people seeking truth but let me come back now to my my thought this morning in Acts chapter 18 and God said to Paul be not afraid no need for fear can you live in the jungle can you live in the desert can you live in the city Uh, and the answer to that certainly you can and God gave us, and I love it, or don't you love it, when the Bible gives you gives you the message. We can live, young people, without being fearful because God said, just like He said to Paul, He's saying to us, here's why you don't need to fear. Number one, for I am with thee. It, does, it doesn't matter where you're at. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of a strange place God sends you. Uh, In Exodus chapter 3, don't turn there, but you know the story. Exodus chapter 3, God had just called Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver the children of Israel. And Moses is struggling with this a little bit. And and Moses said to God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, who am I that I should go? Now, how many of you, when God called you to to ministry, to preach or to be a missionary or a Christian school teacher or go to Bible college, you wondered, Lord, why me? There's some other people much more qualified, much more apt, much more able. But Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go? And God said, now listen, in a sense, God didn't answer his question, but he gave him a promise. Certainly I will go with thee. You're not go, you will not go anywhere, young people, where God's going to leave you by yourself. And he said to Paul, don't be afraid. Do not let fear dominate your life because i am given you the most wonderful promise. I will be with you. Isaiah says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Even in the Great Commission, When Jesus told us to teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit and to teach them all things. You know the great promise with that? Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And there's a verse I love all the Bible. I've been been reading it. I've read it at least through once and most of the time, many more times than that for 53 years now. But I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Wherever you're at, in Bible college, in ministry, on the mission field, starting a new church, wherever it's at, God says, you can can do it without being dominated by fear because you're not going anywhere where I will not be with you. That's a wonderful promise, young people. But then He added to that, not only will I be with you anywhere you go, But then he said, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. You see, not only do we have the presence of God when we do what he asks us to do, but we have also the protection of God. No man can set his hand upon you to hurt you when you're doing what God wants you to do. In Hebrews 13, the next verse, it says this, So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And some of you thinking, as I've already mentioned, well, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to surrender because I'm afraid where God might s- send me. My wife, you know, she's not. She didn't come back with me yesterday morning. This time I was still on an airplane, and uh, she had 24 injections around her eyes. She gets them every three months, so she didn't come back with me yesterday. But my wife is five to and grew up on a farm and country, and yet I want you to know she has followed me to some of the hardest and most difficult places in the world and never complained and loved it. Sixteen years we lived in the Sahara. We lived up in the desert. It was hotter than here if possible. Uh, we rode camels. We tell people in South Carolina where we grew up, they smoked them, but where we live we rode them. We ate with our hands. We pointed with our tongues. It was a totally different world. And and my wife lived with me there for 16 years. Uh, We have five children who grew up there. Two of them were born there in synagogue. And then we were asked to pray about. uh, Dr. Sis gets me in trouble all the time. Brother Godfrey, would you pray about? And my answer always is, well, I'll pray about it. But my thought is, I'll pray about it, but there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. And back in 1989, we were asked, would you pray about going to a different country? And we did. And we left the flat, dry, barren Sahara in a Muslim country, moved out in the middle of the jungle in the Congo. And we hadn't been there but a few days. And we lived in a mud house that nobody had lived in for 30 years. Missionaries had built it many, many years ago. And uh, the back wall, it was on the side of the mountain. The back wall's leaning down the hill and had a crack in the corner of the bedroom wall. And I stuffed it full of plastic. So we went to bed that night. I nailed four poles to the end of the bed, put mosquito net over it, took it under the mattress. And of course, there's no electricity, so there's no fans or noise. And about the time we got into bed, we heard a noise. And uh, I got up on my side of the bed and I got my flashlight and I got my machete and I went around on Linda's side and she said, Honey, what is it? And I said, y- You really don't want to know. <laughs> and uh, they were, here was this big black mamba coming through the plastic on her side of the bed. and You know, I whacked his head off. And uh, Next day, I went off to a village to preach and our youngest son, Robert, who was just a little boy back in those days, he'd gone to the outhouse. So he went down to the outhouse and he starts yelling and there was a big green snake right over the center pole in the outhouse. Uh, I'm just saying, look, when God sends you, listen to me. When God sends you to some place where He wants you to win people to Christ and plant a church, He'll take care of you. So, well, I couldn't go there. I'm afraid of the disease. I'm afraid of AIDS. I'm afraid of malaria. I'm afraid of dengue fever. I'm af- well. Don't be afraid. God is our shield. He's our protector. Back in 1990, I think it was Dr. Sisk. I mentioned him getting me in trouble, but I've got him in trouble more than once, too. He went with me in 1990. We were in a small group. Brother Ron Bragg, who was our Africa director in those days, and one preacher who had never been out of Georgia in his life to that trip. And we were going out in the jungle where we lived, and we were riding on the top of this big truck left over World War II, and it sits about this high off the ground. Well, we had it loaded with about 15 barrels of, of diesel fuel and gasoline and then trunks on top of the barrels, suitcases on top of the trunks, and then we're all sitting on top of that, rolling back and forth, and it's mountains out there. It's jungle, but it's mountains. and the truck had just been worked on. It wasn't running right. Bicycles were passing us. We had to stop working on the truck and it got late and this is Friday and Friday night came. So we're now in the dark going up this mountain. And as we went up the mountain, the engine on the truck stopped running. Anybody ever been going up a mountain and you've got to start, you you poor young people, you don't know what a clutch is, I'm sure. Anyway, the driver's in a panic because he's trying to keep the truck from rolling back down the mountain and he's trying to get it cranked and finally he gets it running and he lets the clutch out and you're going up a mountain and we have it loaded and we're all sitting up there and when when he starts it up and jerks it, everything on that truck slipped back about that far. Every rope broke, stuff went everywhere, suitcases, trunks and people. And I look back, and I, my, my first thought was, I've just killed my director, because <laughs> I could not find Dr. Sis. <laughs> Anywhere. Well, thank the Lord, it was it's sandy soil there. It wasn't so hard, so he was okay. Now it's it's like eleven o'clock at night or after, and it's it's hot there all the time, and it's sticky, like the Philippines, and. So now we're looking at that truck thinking, we're not going to get back on it until we find a level spot. So we're walking behind the truck, lugging our suitcases and our trunks and sweating, and finally it's probably midnight. We get up on top of this mountain, drive in a village, and the moment we drive into that village, we are surrounded by bandits with guns and machetes and clubs. And uh, they come from everywhere, and... And we're trying to talk to them, and they're threatening and beating up on our African pastors. And Dr. Sis said, Translate for me. So I began to translate, and the bandit said, Tell him to shut his mouth, I'll blow his brains out. And Dr. Sis said that uh, he felt strangely led to comply. <laughs> Then you say, Brother Guy, why in the world would you tell us stories like that in a message where you're telling us not to be afraid? I'm telling you because it's evident that God took care of us that night. Every one of us could have went to heaven that night in that village in the middle of the jungle, and no one would have ever known what happened to us. Let me tell you the rest of that story. We were on top of that truck Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night. We were supposed to have been in my village on Sunday. We didn't even make it. Sunday, we're still riding Sunday night. People had come from villages and towns by the hundreds and the thousands to our village. And then we did not show up. And then Monday morning we got there. And the moment we arrived, they sent runners, literally men running out to villages and towns. And by Monday afternoon, we could not get inside the church because there were so many people. There were five or 6,000 people sitting out under the big spreading trees beside our church. And Dr. Sis preached, and I, pre- I, I translate for him, and then I preached. And I'm just telling you, young people look, when God puts a burden on your heart to serve Him, it doesn't matter where, you can do it. And you can do it without being full of fear because He will never send you someplace that He will not protect you. Now, let me give you one more thought. And I love this part. God said to Paul, Don't be afraid. For I am with thee, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Then he said this, for I have much people in this city. How many believe God can still save souls? We know that here, don't we? This is what I would call, we've seen God's presence and God's protection. This is what I would call God's potential. When God sends you someplace, He sends you there because there are people there God knows they want to be saved. You know, I believe God calls missionaries because there's somebody in that place wants to hear the gospel. And there's a potential. This year we've had several of our older missionaries go to heaven this year. One of them's name was Russell Turner. Russell and Bobby Turner were farmers down in Greenville, South Carolina. Their farm was right across the road from Tabernacle Baptist Church back in the days of Dr. Harold Seidler. They were they had a had a hog farm, and uh, Russell Turner had surrendered to go to the, the Caribbean Islands, and but he didn't have any support and couldn't sell his farm, and it just wasn't selling and wasn't selling and wasn't selling, and finally one day Russell looked at his wife Bobby and said, "Honey, going to pack our bags, we're going to the mission field." And he took the the deed, the title for his pig farm right across the road from Tabernacle Baptist Church and he signed it and walked across the road and gave his farm to Tabernacle Baptist Church and Dr. Harold Seidler. And that property is where for dozens and dozens of years Tabernacle Children's Home has stood. And Russell Turner went to the mission field, came on Brack, a little island down in... below Grand Cayman Islands and they they won people and every island around there knew about them. Well, back earlier this year, February, Russell Turner went to heaven. The day he died, there was a big guy down there in the islands named Raymond. He owned several ships and they transported things between the islands and, and every time Russell would see him, he said, Raymond, you need to get saved. Raymond, when are you gonna trust Christ? But Raymond never did. That morning, Raymond came by the house and knocked on the door and he said to Ms. Turner, I'd like to see Pastor Turner one more time and just shake his hand. And she said, Raymond, the only way you'll ever shake Pastor Turner's hand is if you do it in heaven. And that day, Ms. Turner led that big rugged seaman, Raymond, to the Lord. So when God sends you someplace, wherever it's at in the world, maybe right here in the United States, for some of us it would be harder to stay here than it is to be there. God can change the world in that place where He puts you. I want to go back to Papua New Guinea and I'll finish with that. I could tell you story after story, and those of you in my classes know that that's not not an exaggeration. God's doing wonderful things around the world. But I started a little bit with that story of Papua New Guinea because I want to end with this. I should have written this myself, except I couldn't have written this. It's just a one page little letter that one of my good friends wrote. His name is Pastor Taco. That's his name. Pastor Holmes Taco.
1: He's an older
0: national pastor in Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. He was led to the Lord by one of our missionaries when he was 12 years old. His wife, when she was eight, one of the missionaries' wives, won her to the Lord. A year and a half ago or so, I had the privilege of going to Papua New Guinea and being out with our giving out the Bibles and traveling over some of the roughest roads in the world. But then going on to a we'd go up in those mountains and I would look around, we'd pull on a, I, there's nobody even up here. And we'd pull on a school campus and there would be 1,200, 1,500 young people, high schoolers, and they would stand out in that baking sun and never flinch for an hour while we shared the gospel. But one of the things, I, I knew it in my mind, but one of the things that really spoke to my heart when I was there was missionaries went to Papua New Guinea 40, 50 years ago, and they suffered. People there were still cannibals. They still had bones in their noses. They were tribal they killed each other but missionaries went in there and they stayed and they won people and and they were beaten and accused and everything else but they stayed and they won people and they trained nationals and they built churches all those missionaries with the exception of one or two all of them now they're in heaven they're not there we don't have a lot of um, outs we don't have a lot of missionaries there but i tell you what when i was there here's what i saw in papua new guinea there are 1,800 churches that trace themselves back to that handful of missionaries who went there 40 years ago. Everywhere I went, John always started this church. Raymond Sorrells won me to Christ. Old man Simpson, Clyde Simpson, taught me the Bible. Well, this, this piece of paper I have in my hand was written by one of those Papua New Guinea guys that got saved many years ago. And he wrote this, it's called Missionaries, Who Are They? Now I'm going to read it just like he wrote it. English is not his first language. On the mission field, most people speak three or four languages. But uh, he wrote this, and a little 12-year-old boy gave a description of missionaries like this when he was asked. He said, they are God's special agents for a special mission. How true it is. Their mission is called Mission Rescue the Parachute. Leaving the fort, they prepare to enter enemy lines all over the world. Given their location and strategy, they move without much logistical support. To live or to die is just the same for them. They're equipped with the art of old-fashioned technology. In their hands is the world's most powerful weapon that can crash the enemy in the split of a second. In their mouth is the life-saving message that can save the hopeless, the homeless, the baseless, and the lifeless, putting hope, giving new home, setting base on the solid rock, and giving abundant life to mankind, wiping tears of sadness and loneliness, and putting joy in their hearts and smiles on their faces. Their feet are called beautiful with blisters and cuts, and their hands have a special touch from heaven. Missionaries put their bodies and their families on the line, climbing the highest mountain, walking the widest river, crossing crocodile infested swamps, driving on rugged roads, unfit for motor vehicles that can shake and twist and rock you. They fly over breathtaking mountains that can make you nervous. Missionaries live on faith and they live in isolation On many occasions, they've been attacked, robbed, beaten, and punched. But as the saying goes, they keep on uh, keeping on and serve their master. They adapt to the weather. They speak the lingo. They eat the local menu. Time and again, they face struggles, hardships, pressures, and perils of life. Their poor children are born and bred on a foreign land with a mixture of American and Melanesian customs. What a place to adapt into two cultures. They live up to their motto. They are no fools to give what they cannot keep, to gain what they cannot lose. Missionaries are special indeed because of their special mission on frontline duties to rescue people from the enemy. We salute you all because you are our heroes. Your coming was our freedom and hope. You brought light to our darkness. You set the path for our feet. You wiped our tears of pain and you relieved our broken hearts. Your labor and dedication of love is not in vain, but we'll be honored by our chief in command. We appreciate you all for coming to our land, the land of color and culture or the land of the unexpected and the land of a million journeys. Papua New Guinea. Can you serve God without being full of fear? You certainly can, because God can send you to some place and change that world.